0: Thank you very much. Great preparation for God's word this morning and song. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's take our Bibles and go there. Uh, maybe you don't have the Bible on your personal device, or maybe you don't have a copy of a paper copy of God's word this morning. So, our ushers are ready to um, loan you a copy of the scriptures. So, if you would like a copy of the Bible this morning to follow along, we'd love to just have you raise your hand and they'll bring a copy of the scriptures to you. So, keep your hands up high until they see you, and we'll follow along. 2 Corinthians uh, Corinthians chapter 8. Jeff, maybe you could help us find a couple scriptures to hand out to these folks with their hands up. And um, they're on one of the shelves back there. There's a couple back there. Thanks, Jimmy. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 I think I saw a king here earlier too I haven't seen for a while wherever you're seated come see me give me a hug Um, lots of people I haven't seen for a while I have both both my two daughters-in-law in in the service this morning I don't know the next time that's ever going to happen but I want to recognize their presence I don't know where they're seated hey Al you got in after I went to bed last night what a day you had Bless your soul. She was supposed to be up early for the grad party yesterday. Poor soul. Should I even tell the story, Al? Will you still be my friend? Don't tell the story. Okay. She got here safely. And Abby, Abby and Caleb are here for their, well, probably their first service as a married couple, first morning service. So congratulations. You're welcome to stand, all three of you, so everyone can see. No, Abby would rather not. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're okay. like them a lot. So Amen. A little, uh, proud of all of them. And thank you for really, you folks have been most gracious with my schedule. It's the most wonderful, blessed, craziest summer of my life. And um, it's mostly over. But I appreciate your allowing me to be gone. And uh but boy, don't don't the pastors that just preach on Sunday mornings? Isn't God just gifted them with the ability to communicate God's word? I'm so thankful for Pastor Mike and Steve and, and Kent and their delivering of God's word and and um, praise God for that giftedness. And um, anyways, so our method of preaching through the Bible here for those of you who are guests and. There are quite a few guests here this morning, and it's typical in churches throughout the country, and I'm not decrying this, I'm just saying there's different philosophies of approach to God's word on on Lord's days, and there are some pastors that teach God's word very faithfully in a topical fashion. They just preach on topics that are in the Bible. There are, there are others who will spend the whole of their ministry. Again, I'm not decrying this. It's just a philosophy on um, preaching mini-series. Mini-series. Um, three to maybe seven sermons on a topic or on a particular text of Scripture, on a theme there are some who, who preach what we call expositionally. They just take one book at a time and they go paragraph by paragraph, line by line, word by word, and they just kind of preach through a whole book and, and that takes a little longer. Um, and It too is a, is a, is a way to, to approach God's word publicly with God's people. That's what we do here. And there are some churches that do all three, topical, mini-series, and expository. Um, I would say that we probably primarily do line by line, paragraph by paragraph, so forth and so on. And we will also touch on topics and do little miniseries, I guess, but those are not the primary thing we do. So I say all that full circle back to you understanding where we're at in this book. 2 Corinthians. This is a book we begun uh, early this last year. And we're going to probably take the rest of the year through December to finish this book. We are right now in the second part of this second letter to the Corinthians. The first part was chapters 1 through 7. The second part is chapters 8 and 9. And then chapter 10 through the end of the book will be the third and the final section in this second part, there's divisions in chapters 8 and 9. The first division of this second part, we've already covered, and you can go back on our website and either watch those or listen to those sermons on our website. Okay, And the first section of this second portion of this second letter is verses 1 through 9. We're going to highlight a little bit of 8 and 9 again as we segue into verses 10 to 12 this morning. Really, the second portion of this second letter begins in verse 10. second portion of this uh, second section of this second letter. A lot of twos. Trying to break it down for you. The second portion of the second section of the second letter begins in verse 10 of chapter 8. Okay? So now you know a little bit of a flavor of expository preaching. It's a little detailed. But you don't ever want to miss the truth of the text and the detail of the text, right? So let me tell you exactly what's happening in chapters 8 and 9. So for about a year, this church, the Corinthian church, has been distracted from one particular area of ministry that's pretty critical. Because they allowed a small portion of their church that didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to dissuade them, to distract them from this biblical opportunity. And this biblical opportunity is part and parcel with what we would call worship. The Corinthians had really, as we'll find out later this morning, had stepped out and begun to model this virtue among all churches of their region. They did it first, but then they allowed this little group of people to distract them from the discipline of living out this virtue in the context of their worship. And Paul's just saying, you know what? Now that your hearts are right with me again... He wrote a first letter to kind of get them back in order. They're in order. They responded well. So the second letter is all about what do growing Christians do? How do they act? How do they live? How do they worship? Because now they're being helped by God again. Uh, they're being aided by God's grace to do the right thing the right way. And he's saying, okay, why don't you just pick up what you started and that you stopped because of the influence of these And this is what they started but stopped. They stopped caring for the needs of the people of God in their church and specifically other churches, in specific the church of Jerusalem, which where the New Testament church found its beginning, they stopped caring for the needs of those people. You say well, so they stop being philanthropic. They stop being, you know, sharers for for common good. No, it was it was more than that. You see, when you have a true church of people, and when I say true church, these are not people that just bodies gathered in a building. The true church is not a building, and it's not just merely a body of people true church are those that are called out by God and introduced to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the true church are people that actually see their desperate need for the Lord Jesus Christ because they see their own fallenness and their own sinfulness as compared to his love and perfection and they realize that Christ came to die for them and for the sins of the whole world Past, present, and future, and they're overwhelmed that a God, their creator, would send his son, Jesus Christ, to do such a thing so that they might have eternal life in Christ, so that they might know the joy of having soul rest. That's the true church. Those who have turned from their sin and placed their faith alone in Jesus Christ for their eternal life and for their eternal security. So he's speaking now to the faithful people of Corinth, the true church at Corinth. And he's saying the true church cares for itself. They make sure that their needs are met, their physical needs, the material needs, for a purpose. It's not just doing social good. We care for each other because if we're not cared for by one another then there will not be the physical existence of the church, so therefore its spiritual mission will be forsaken. The church must be cared for physically so it can spiritually pursue gospel progress. Is that simple enough to understand? You see that all over the book of Acts, right? the church of Jerusalem was caring for itself just read Acts chapter, uh, my goodness, just read Acts, (laughs) and look at not only the, the, the church of Jerusalem, but all the other churches that were spawned off of Jerusalem, and look at the interdependent way in which they cared for each other's needs, but they were doing it for a reason, because there were always going to be lost people out there that needed to hear the Lord Jesus Christ, and the church needed to be strong so it could do the mission of Christ together. So this second, Portion of this second letter is just really about reteaching, reiterating, remediating the Corinthian people back to what they were doing, which was making sure that they were sharing, making sure that they were giving so that the needs of the flock could be cared for, so that the gospel of God, the gospel of Christ could be championed, could go forward. I think part of what happened what he's encouraging them to pick up and do here with the Church of Jerusalem is kind of like what our arch team just did in Wisconsin. They went out and cared for their needs. Now, why in the world would we care for a church in Wisconsin? Because we know that church loves the gospel. And we know that church spreads the gospel in their town. And they want to work with other churches in their state to spread the gospel. So we go help take care of their needs. If it's within our means to do that, we're going to do it by God's grace. That's just one simple practical application. There's all kinds of practical needs inside of our own flock that I know that you folks are caring for. You love each other really, really well. right? Grace Church of Mentors, not Corinth. I don't think I've ever seen you stop giving for up to a year to care for one another's needs for the gospel's sake. You're well beyond that. But there's still things to learn here from Paul's letter to this church now that's revived in its desire to, to, to live for the Lord, particularly in this area of giving. So many, so many people, so many American Christians are absolutely disgruntled with church and with religion Because church to them has always been about a spiritual leader or leaders in the church begging them for money in some kind of way. And often that begging for money was to be used for things that really weren't about gospel progress. And so when true believers began to give and they found out that it was being misdirected away from gospel progress... And the care for the flock, they got disenfranchised because they didn't know who to trust. But that begging for giving never stopped. It just kept coming and coming and coming. I remember years ago in high school, I was reading Mark Twain, you know, Samuel Clemens. And he was recounting about going to church as a young boy and as a young man and always hearing the preacher beg for money. And he tired of it. So much so that when the plate passed by him, right, he found himself taking paper bills out of the plate (laughs) instead of putting bills in the plate. He was pretty disgruntled. So I guess this is not a a new problem. I guess it's been happening for a long time. Some of you come from churches that even though you never attended three, four, five, six times a year, you got letters in the mail asking you to give. And you said, I haven't been there for six years. They don't even know my name, and I'm still getting letters. People say, ah, oh, I just go to church. All they do is preach about giving. Nah, well, hopefully by now in the sermon, you know that's not the case here. Like I said two weeks ago, I haven't preached on giving unless the text demands that I do in a regular expositional process of preaching, so... And it's not just on giving. You know what? I despise that as much as you guys do. I despise just giving for giving's sake. That's not biblical. That nauseates me like it nauseates you. I've sat through many a sermons in my lifetime where there's elongated pleas for giving, and the more the plea was there, the less I wanted to give. Right? And I get that. I understand. But when God's grace is operating and when you understand sharing unto gospel progress within the context of the text that we're studying, it's actually quite motivating. It's actually quite liberating. It's actually quite an opportunity, right? That's done with joy because it's done with divine purpose. And it's something that God challenges all of our hearts to, to participate in uh, for sure. So, let's go back to Romans 15 real quickly. Keep your fingers here, and let's go back a few pages to the, Paul's letter to the Romans. And I just want to highlight something here of the Macedonian motivation. The Macedonian motivation. Paul's using, he loved to use the example of the Macedonians, didn't he? <laughs> Corinth and then Rome. Look at verse 22 of... Romans chapter 15. He says, For this reason I have often been prevented from coming to you. Paul had written to the Romans, but he had never met him. But now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. When I have first Enjoyed your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia, there's that region that's comprised of what we know to be at least the Thessalonian church, the Philippian church, and the Berean church. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. They've been pleased. What I find fascinating about the order here is the Macedonians, if you look at cross-reference in the margin of your Bible here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. You can actually do 1 through 9. The Thessalonican testimony was so powerful that you'll see there that their testimony had influence also in Achaia we find here, they were pleased to make a contribution to the poor in Jerusalem. Verse 27, yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them in the material things. There it is. There's the care for the sheep for spiritual reasons, for eternal cause. From Jerusalem came what? From Jerusalem came the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Correct? Because of that, the the Macedonian churches understood spiritual inside transformation, because that's what Jesus does by the power of the Holy Spirit. He changes you inside. He changes the way you live. So from Jerusalem came the gospel message to these churches, and they were changed, and that spiritual... Change wants to be taken to the Achaeas and then to other utter regions out beyond that. There, there, there needs to be a ripple effect, a ripple gospel effect. For anyone who's truly understood the gospel, their passion is to make sure they're taking the gospel to the next people and to the next people and to the next people. But here are the Macedonians because they were benefited by the Jerusalem message of the gospel. Now that Jerusalem's poor... And without food, clothing, and shelter, they want to do what? They want to share with them resources because they're indebted to them. Caring for the flock, for the progress of the gospel. Caring for the flock, for the progress of the gospel. So, we'll go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're pleased, as you know, to have three different models of what proper sharing really is. Obviously, we have the model of Christ in the text. We'll reread that here in just a moment. We had the Macedonian model. Paul says that he himself had been a model to the Corinthian people, and the Corinthian people were the first to pick up on living his model. So don't ever forget, in in anything that has to do with spiritual growth, It's all underpinned by God's grace, but God does give us both divine and human examples of how to live out those virtues. He does. God in Christ is always going to be the primary model, but in his word, he's inscripturated for us people that were models for people. And right here among us in this room are models, spirit-filled, growing in Christ Christians, that know what it means to share and to care for the flock because their ultimate burden is the spread of the gospel. You know, one of the number one, and it's not a pushback. I don't know what it is. I'll call it a pushback. One of the number one pushbacks to uh, encouraging any flock to shepherd each other in the word of God to mentor each other in the word of God to model Christ likeness for one another is that I don't believe in hierarchical discipleship I don't believe that you know there's anyone in the church that should model for me that which I ought to do because that's leaning more towards a performance based Christianity Christianity And can I tell you that that's what Paul's doing here, then, is really performance based Christianity? But it's not. Why would he exalt himself as a model? Why would he exalt Titus as a model? Why would he exalt the Macedonian churches as a model? He only does that secondary to the model of Jesus Christ. And he wants to make the understanding of Christ's likeness not just audible, but also visual. He actually gives us people that actually might be farther along in their spiritual growth on the matter than we. Huh, imagine that. Paul always has that Philippians 3 mindset. Not that I have already arrived, I've not achieved, but this one thing I do, I'm always forgetting those things that are behind and I'm striving. But it's always together with interdependent growth. So when we couple you up or pair you up as couples, or you're discipling one person with three or two with seven, the mathematically doesn't makes no difference. I believe you're doing the will of God because you're modeling the will of God before other people. And if we're all spirit-filled, we would hunger and beg to know how God's working in each other's lives. I want to know. Please tell me. Don't tell me what to do. Tell me how God's working in your life because I want to do His will. Right? Yes, and to hell with performance-based Christianity. That's legalism. This is spiritual growth. People learn from people And if you can't learn from somebody, it's time for some good soul introspection. I can sit in that front seat and I can hear a group of kindergartners sing a song on Mother's Day. And I can learn from those little saints. There's something to learn from each of us that's what paul's doing here the list is clear but obviously the primary example is christ right verse 9 for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ this unmerited favor this gift given to us we don't deserve that's what grace is that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich now when paul's talking here, he's not talking in terms of dollars and cents and a condo or a yacht Jesus Christ was rich in his environment because he dwelled eternally in the presence of the Godhead as God. That's his wealth. And he made himself of no reputation. That was his poverty. He made himself like as unto a man. That's why his birth is worth celebrating. But even his giving was for a purpose. That's Philippians chapter 2. Jesus Christ is the ultimate gift of God that keeps on giving. And Jesus Christ came, what, for a purpose? To be obedient unto the death of the cross, where he died for your sin and where he died for my sin. We've already highlighted Hebrews 12, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. His giving was always about mission. His giving was always about mission. And that's all I'm trying to do. I think that's all that God's word's trying to do here. To take every mind, every heart, every body, and everyone get focused on our sharing is always for the progress of the gospel. All of it. All right, hopefully I haven't emphasized that too much. I think I feel I need to because of all the different backgrounds we come from and maybe the background that I've come from. Our, our sharing always has to have proper motivation. Pure motivation. With divine purpose. So, verse 10. Remember, Paul already said, I don't have to command you. Verse 8, I'm not speaking this as a command. Why? Because where the grace of God is operating, no pastor and no spiritual leader has to stand up and say, you got to do this. They just do it. He uses somewhat similar language in the verse 10, which is the beginning of the second portion of this second letter, the second section of the second letter. I give you as my opinion in this matter. So he's still not really going to give a command until we get down to verse 11. And verse 11 is the only command, what we call in Greek, a present active imperative, in both chapters. And both chapters are on sharing unto gospel progress, which is really a testimony of this is the grace of Christ. When you're walking with the Lord, you don't have to constantly be berated, tricked. How many times have we heard jokes before offerings were taken? Almost like you got to lighten up the heart a little bit so people give more, right? You don't have to tell a joke, right? You just, you just do it because that's how God's grace operates. Amen. Right. He says, I'm going to give you my opinion. And what's his opinion? The next phrase says here, for this is to your advantage. Who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire it. So he's kind of getting in here in the second section of this second section. Really the character, if you will, of the machinery of what sharing is. And I really believe that the emphasis of the wording here is really on the word desire, which is in the Greek language is the last word of this particular verse, and he's saying here this. I'm going to give you my opinion, and this is what I observed from your past. You are the first. Now, I think you need to enjoy picking up that example, that modeling again. This would be good. And then he's saying it's all about the will. The word desire is the Greek word for will. God's grace prompts the will to make a choice to do something. There is no willing without doing. So he's telling the Corinthian people, this would be good. Not just good for you, in your own walk with the Lord, but this is obviously going to benefit the church of Jerusalem. And so, let's get back at it. And let's do it. He knows personally, that this advantage is not particularly for him, but for others all the while knowing the advantage that Macedonian giving had been for him. Let's clear this up. Philippians 4. Let's jump over to a familiar text there, a few pages to your right. So we looked at Romans 15, and the model of the Macedonian churches was a model for Rome, in passing to the Roman church. It's a model for Corinth. and The model was also a benefit to Paul. Remember, we said the Philippian church was a Macedonian church. And what does Paul say here? Verse 15. Oh, I guess go we'll up to at verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And thus, nevertheless, you have done well to share, to give. It's the Greek word koinonia, to partner with me in my affliction. When I was destitute, the Philippian church was even given to Paul. Why? Because Paul was an evangelist, and he was always about, again, the mission, the spread of the gospel. we'll keep it certainly that simple. And again, the Philippian church was Macedonian church. Whenever we see these churches, they're just modeling, sharing to the saints for the progress of the gospel, and it's actually quite beautiful. Paul's words here are clear. His advantage is God's advantage, and God's advantage is the Philippians advantage, and therefore likewise for the Corinthians. God's grace never allows any faithful sharer to suffer living life without their needs being met. And often he allows us to live well beyond our means, and that's everybody in the auditorium this morning. Because remember, we established that clearly several weeks back. There are no Macedonians in our midst. And there's some people who are struggling in our midst. Remember, we said the Macedonian struggle was a struggle of all struggles, and remember Paul highlighted here that Jerusalem was even struggling more than Macedonian churches. So they're hurt and hurt and hurt. But as God's people are compelled by grace to encourage each other, to care for each other, it's all for the spread of the gospel. And the Corinthians knew this. And now they're just getting reacquainted with it text goes on to say who were the first to begin a year ago. They were the the trendsetters. Just get back to it. But also to desire to do it. God's grace compels that will. Here's a couple key factors of character or integrity in the machinery of you um, honoring God's will uh, in this regard. You must be first willing and they were. They picked up, and they got going again. They got going again. Go back down to verse 11. This is just an addendum to what we learned in verse 10, because verse 11 gives us another point in relationship to giving with integrity and character. Verse 11, but now finished doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may also be a completion of it by your ability. There's that emphasis on desire again. The two usages of the word here teach us three things. Two usages of the word ready or, or will, the Greek word thelos, teach us two things, three things. Spirit-filled saints don't need to be begged to give. We've already established that. Their willingness stems from their growth and grace. We've already established that. And their desire can be renewed. Their desire can be renewed. In other words, it can be lost. But it can be renewed by God's grace when they consider the layers of models that God's given them right in the text. They're going to be okay. So any excuse for not participating in sharing is kind of... Um, taken off the dry erase board, it's kind of kind of removed. That if the Macedonians can share, then anyone can share. The I can't afford it, or I don't have anything to offer. That kind of language just kind of disappears like vapor. Uh, I have a friend in a Middle Eastern country, and they take an offering every morning among their 30 people and they use just wicker baskets, pass it row to row and uh, often the ladies will carry the offering in their aprons to church and they'll reach in and they'll put three eggs in the basket another lady will reach in and a handful of rice and they'll put it in the basket that's all they got That's all we got. Those are Macedonian people. And Paul's saying there are examples with Christ being our ultimate example. So the character and channeled energy of sharing in gospel progress is an advantage to the believer. It's prioritized. It's to be a matter of willingness, and it's to be finished. Verse 11, we already read that. It's to be completed. But now, finish doing it also. And By the way, this is that only imperative in these two chapters. It's the only command. He doesn't have to command to give. He's commanding them to complete what they started. In verse 7 and verse 24, for those of you that are language buffs, there seems to be language that is almost a command but you look at the grammatical structure there's no mandate given in either one of those verses and again I find this incredibly powerful it teaches that grace compels all of us to beg for the opportunity as we saw earlier in chapter 8 to share in gospel progress and sometimes we just need to be reminded to pick up again by God's grace, that will to share. Because in the willing is the doing. You can't pull the two apart. It's just a natural, supernatural desire. Just finish and continue what you've begun. And I'm sure across the auditorium, there's, there's quite a few of you that are good-hearted people. You're walking with the Lord. Maybe when you were walking with the Lord before, you shared well. Maybe you walked away for a little bit, stopped sharing, and since you started walking with the Lord again, you just haven't gotten back in that process of sharing. I think that's common. Maybe you're just like the Corinthian people, they just need that little nudge of reminder by God's grace, pick it up and share again. You're going to be okay. You might have come in with a whole new slew of rationale as to why you can't afford to, you can't, you can't, you can't, and you have to remember... God's going to supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You don't have to worry about that, but remember why you're sharing. The why of God's grace is the motivation to share. And the why is that the saddest reality in the world today is that people are dying and going to hell today. That's the saddest reality in the world. The saddest reality of the world today is that people all over the world are being taught that their greatest need is food, clothing, shelter, reliable transportation, a job, a degree. No. God says their greatest need is forgiveness of their sin. And that's only something God can change. Man can't influence that. the why of grace then becomes the will of grace and the doing of grace and that's eternal mission and really the last prepositional phrase of verse 11 kind of leads us into uh, an explanation in verse 11 excuse me, verse 12 it's also a completion of it by your ability that's a that's a powerful phrase and then the four begins to explain what the by your ability really means for if verse 12 the readiness is present it is acceptable according to what a person has the language actually reads it's acceptable according to what right and the understanding is there is to what a person is or has their means, not according to what he does not have. For if the readiness is present, readiness is a powerful word. Since the preparation is there, since God's grace is tutoring us and our will back to picking up what we dropped off before. And since that's a a reality in our today, in our present, then what's in our windshield? It's acceptable then to give according to what you have and not according to what you don't have. Now there's a lot of, I guess, what authors call the prosperity gospel out there. You give so you can get. Right? That's not the teaching of the context. <laughs> the giving is for eternal purposes, for the progress of the gospel. Paul says, I didn't give to get rich. I just gave because I was so overwhelmed with God's grace, what he did for her in Christ. I became a model to you. And now we're just giving to care for each other so we can keep sharing Christ. But whoever is going to participate in the sharing must do it according to what a person has. The amount of what the Corinthian believers were sharing at first is really never the focus of the text. Just as it was never the focus for the Macedonians. So we're not talking in terms of numbers or denominations. Because first century giving was a lot like the Middle East context I discussed with you a little bit earlier. They were giving to make sure needs were taken care of under the progress of the gospel. Whatever the Corinthians were capable of sharing according to what they had to the person They turned that over to giving that to the religious deceivers among them. And the religious ones were making their living off of it. And the religious ones were not for the gospel. Paul's just saying here, begin sharing for the cause of Christ as you had according to what you have. And it would be acceptable. The word acceptable is used three times in Paul's letters. One time in Romans 15, 16, where the Gentiles find their acceptability before God in Christ. Romans chapter 15 and verse 31, where Paul expresses his hope that the collection, we already read a little bit about that this morning, would be acceptable to the saints in Jerusalem. And 2 Corinthians 6, 2, our letter, it's used of God's acceptable time and his day of salvation. So Paul uses the word here to show both acceptability to God and to man. This is acceptable, this is reasonable, this is logical. But here I really believe it's God that's in view. I think it can tie it to the context of verse 9. This is the grace of Christ. This is what was acceptable to God in giving Christ to us, and it was acceptable to Christ to give of himself, because that was the will of the Father. Now, as we reciprocate to one another unto gospel purposes, this is acceptable to God. Because it's his gospel. It's his son. Giving that is acceptable to God is sharing that is according to a person's situation and not according, as the text says here again, of what he doesn't have. There were different demographics in Paul's day as there are different demographics in our day. Giving with character, sharing with character means that we do according to to what we have not merely what we don't have so in other words if there was a millionaire among us and I'm pretty certain there's probably not if there was a millionaire among us and he gives $100 to the cause of Christ a week that's $4,800 a year there's a person that makes $40,000 a year and gives the same that's a little bit different sacrifice right so you say the text isn't talking about numbers why would you use an illustration of numbers for this reason the text says to give according to what you have not to give out of what you have there's no numbers involved here all we know is that grace is compelling the believer to share for the progress of the gospel. There's some in here who have more and there's some in here who have less. And what does grace teach each of us to do? To give according to, not to give out of. We'll just let the Holy Spirit allow you to wrestle with that in your own heart because really we're going to find out later in chapter 9 that this really is a matter of your heart. As a man purposes in his heart, so let him give, but we can't go there without going through the progress, the process of the text. We would say the millionaire is giving out of their possessions, and the other is giving according to what they have. As I said weeks ago, it's really hard for me even to wrap my mind about what sacrificial, joyful giving is because I've never lived in a Macedonian context. Well, apparently the Corinthians weren't either. But they were still able to give sacrificially and joyfully because they had learned at first what it meant to give according to, not out of, what God had given them. So while Paul's focus is never on amounts and specific, he's saying that sharing in the cause of Christ is really according to what God has prospered us with. Now for me and Rhonda, I would say we've never tithed. We went, over, we went over two weeks ago. This tithe thing and what it was to the Old Testament saint or person in the Mosaic community. I've always looked at the usage of ten percent. How many of you ever heard came from a church or heard that ten percent was a tithe and that's what you should give? How many of you just raise your hand? I want everyone to be. See, see, look, look, everyone, just look around. Don't be ashamed. I was too. Raise your hand. Okay, that's not what the New Testament teaches. And everyone here that's like, oh, wow, that's what people taught and that's what they're doing. You're about to kill our church, Pastor Tim, by saying this. (laughs) So don't say it. Well, I'm going to say it because this is what the text preaches. The 10%, folks, was not a Mosaic thing. Do you understand that? It was pre-Moses. Okay? It was in the context of worship both Old Testament and recited in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. It was the giving of 10% to Melchizedek, remember? We're not going to get into that. Pastor Steve preached a great message on that a month ago. Go back and listen to it. So to me, that 10% was never a Mosaic thing. We talked about last week, that was a 25% annualized tithe, which was a tax in the Mosaic community. So 10% is what I've always called, and you've taken a membership class, you've heard me call it a transdispensational benchmark. That the New Testament never really tells us we have to meet. So I'm really grateful that the New Testament doesn't talk in terms of specific numbers, quite frankly. Because if it did, that's what we would do. If you were taught 10%, that's all you're ever going to give. And if you were taught 10%, you're going to struggle with that, even doing it, because you're going to be told, that's what I was taught, and if I did it, that's performance-based Christianity, I ain't doing it. It's a no-win situation. The New Testament church doesn't talk in terms of numbers or amounts. It always leaves for us to figure it out on our own by looking at the models Christ, How much did Christ give? What were the Macedonians giving out of their poverty? When they didn't have anything to give, even when they reached in their pockets and there was no eggs and there was no rice, they would probably reach in their back pockets to try to find a grain of rice. And if they couldn't find that, it was just take me. (laughs) I'm bought with a price. Therefore, I want to glorify God and my body and my spirit, which are his. They're owned by him. Take me. (laughs) Just take me. Why? For the cause of Christ. There's no amount. Don't take 10% of me. Guys, when you said I do to your wife and your wife said I do to you, I give you 40%. Till death do us not. Do us part, right? That would work, right? I give you almost all of me. How many love ballads would just be destroyed that have been composed and sung? Right? All of me to all of you. Maybe the world gets that. I'm so glad the New Testament doesn't talk in terms of 10%. So minimal. I don't even want to talk in terms of numbers. I don't even want to talk in terms of numbers with my wife. Because I've never known a Christian in India, in South Africa, in Singapore, in Indonesia, in Queens, New York, in Austin, Texas, anywhere that I know people or I've been that is governed by the spirit that is compelled by grace to talk in terms of numbers. They just beg to give. They just beg to give. They beg and they have nothing. None of us are in that situation. And I want you to know, I'm still learning as a pastor what it means to beg to give and to give joyfully and sacrificially. I understand. I got a long way to go. Some of you might still bristle with I'm not being specific enough (laughs) on what to cut the check for or what to put in the offering box. I get that. I understand that. We're still friends and I love you. But if we truly understood the concept of how grace Operates. we would never have to talk about giving again outside of its context when the text demanded that we talk about it. Are you with me? All these churches that talk about it all the time and they're all about giving, the only reason they're doing it is because they really don't understand the context of what's here. If grace is compelling, the topic only has to be discussed when the Bible discusses it. Because you're just the rest of the time growing and begging, how can I how can we get the gospel out there more? How can we take care of the flocks so they're cared for so that we can work together to get the gospel out there? That's all we want to talk about. As we said last week, compared to those list of virtues in verse seven, right, Giving is talked about in concert with these other things. That God's grace grows us. It just becomes actually a quite an easy conversation when God's grace is involved and when God's grace is not involved it's a very difficult conversation to have. And I get that too. Okay. So we want to remain overwhelmed by God's grace. Models of gracious sacrificial sharing and the character of giving and sharing as we've seen today. And for certain we want to share according to what the Lord has given us, not just out of what he's given us. So Let's concentrate on that until we meet next week, okay? And you pray over that. One of the wisest pastors that I ever sat under said that he and his wife got together, I think he said three times a year. He said, Lord, we understand your grace and how it's growing us. We want to we be agreed together of what we're sharing or not sharing. We want to share what you want us to share. I thought that was a great idea. I thought it was a great idea. Rather than pulling out the budget and here's my whatever percentage and others, and how about just wow, I'll guarantee you, I'll guarantee you, we may never need another budget seminar or workshop, <coughs> personal or church, if we grasp this text we would be like certain old testament temple building situations where the leaders had to say stop giving we don't need it anymore if we really got this that's where we would be cuz i know how good your hearts are and i know what incredible sharers you folks are and i could i could take the next hour and a half just detailing not names but things that you're doing for each other that are incredibly encouraging incredibly exciting so I know we have the means to help support the spread of the gospel across this globe as strong as just about any church I know if we understood how grace operates. Okay. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for the simplicity of this text. And I suppose, Lord, if it's uncomfortable for me to consider really the the depth and the breadth of the words that we've considered this morning from your word that's uncomfortable for everybody else. Uncomfortable in the sense that we really want to do the right thing. We just want to do it the right way. And yet we're left to considering these models and then these phrases giving out, giving according to, not out of. So Lord, just help us know to the person and then to the household because we want to stand before you someday hearing from your lips well done thou good and faithful servant and we'll know what that means because Jesus is the servant of God he came not to be served but to serve, to give of himself for the ransom of many He is the best example, our Savior. He is the greatest example, our Jesus, who gave all for the salvation of souls. Help us to follow that example among others. In Christ's name, amen.